welcome to episode 12 of Beers, Business, and Balls, Monday, June 29th, 2020. Beers, Business, and Balls, as always, presented by the Anchor app. Download the Anchor app to get started on the App Store or anchor.fm on your computer. Jake Zimmer, uh, Will Tondo is here with us in spirit, of course. He is now, I believe, about a week and a half into tonsil surgery recovery. Uh, he's doing well. He's He said he had his... The, the the pain is over pretty much, which is good. He had his worst couple of days early last week. So he's going to get out of the woods for sure. I think we, we expect him back next week because we don't have an interview for next week without him. So we're going to have to record at some point. So that'll be good. Uh, here with me. Now, if you are real on social media, if you follow us, you knew that we dropped an Easter egg about this episode couple of weeks ago. Will Tondo decided that he was going to take, take it among himself to enter into a chugging contest. And basically whoever finished first, or was it a shotgun? I, I think it was a shotgun, but whoever finished first got two very different set of benefits. If Tondo finished first, you had the, the scenario that's playing out right now in which our special guest will get 10 minutes to talk stocks and whatever else with us. The other alternative was if this individual had won two full episodes of 45 minutes with me. I don't know if I could have done it, but regardless, we are here with a good friend of mine, Frank Perez. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Jake. Um, best wishes to Will. Wish he could be here as well, but the show goes on and I'm happy to be a part of it be the show goes on in spirits for sure um as some of you might be able to see behind me if we do release some video from this i'm, I'm doing this in our new studio in providence um we, we've got the merch in the background not merch just the logos i should say but um we're gonna have merch coming out as we've mentioned uh constantly pretty much um the website is up though so the links to all of our blogs and our writing and all of that will be posted along with this episode. So back out in the description and go find them. Um, we'll be bringing some stuff up for sure over the next couple of days. Let's hop right into it, folks. We've got a great guest. Uh, John Fanta from Big East Digital is here with us. Uh, fun conversation we have with him. Um, food, beer, co college basketball, obviously. A uh, little football was sprinkled in too. So a great friend of mine. Uh, I've been, uh, I've had the pleasure rather to have known John for quite a bit of time now, about a year and a half. So a fun interview as always. You might see him or you might recognize his voice from any college basketball game, Fox, Yes Network, FS2, all that stuff, all over Twitter too. So John's a good guy and I'm, I'm excited for that for sure. Uh, so hopping right into it, folks. Let's go into beers. Will and I are going to pick the same beer this week because when Will and I were talking earlier, it was, we were joking about one beer. I, I had cracked it open on Friday night and it's ice cream man by back East brewing company in Bloomfield. Um, absolutely delicious. Tondo mentioned that he's got one waiting for him when he comes back to Providence, which is killer. I think his girlfriend was up there um, in Vermont or excuse me, actually, no. That doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm tripping. Bloomfield, Connecticut, they brought back some long trail for him. But 
Ice Cream Man is a phenomenal selection that he's got waiting for him when he comes back. So delicious beer. If you want the review, I'll keep it short. I, I give it a four or five on untapped. Will says it's the only five that he's ever given on a beer ever. Go check it out. Really cool can art. Um, they've got a double scoop too, double IPA. It's really good. And I, I think it's so funny because Frank's just staring at me while I review a beer because he, he doesn't like this stuff. I, it's Man. almost, it's almost a sin that you're on a podcast that one third of it is beer right now. Do you have any comment? Well, you know, speaking of the ice cream, man, I think I'd probably prefer the ice cream, but I do, I do dabble with some beers from time to time. Not yeah. a guy. I like the, the regulars, the classics. Yeah, I mean, you have time and time again, it, your old reliable is Bud Light and it's a rule on here that it, it's, we don't do the Bud Light shit, but I don't know. I don't know. Oh. I, I, I don't know. It's Bud Light. Changing up here. Bud Light, Coors Light, let's keep it simple. <laughs> Ingredients, easy brewing process. But hey, I respect the I respect the craft beer process. So since we have you here, what's the summer beer selection? Are you reaching for a Coors or a Bud or a Miller or what's if you have to go into the cooler, you're on a boat, you're on a beach or something? Let's let's give it a whirl. What do you got? I'd say I'm probably going first with the Coors. Keep it simple. Cold as the Rockies, always been my go-to. Second, I'm probably going Bud Light, and then third, probably Bud Heavy if he's there. But other than that, oh. sometimes you, the only choice is an IPA. We'll have to dabble from time to time. But if someone's got a good cooler, there's going to be some twisted tea in there, and that's probably what I'm going with. Yeah, all right, that's fair. Twee in the summer, you really can't beat it. I think Twee, when you're out at you know like a a bonfire or um, like, I don't know, some kind of party where you're going to be mingling with people. You don't necessarily want to drink a beer. It's sweet, sugary. You're not going to be drinking like too much of it. So you don't wake up with a hangover. I think Twee is a, a phenomenal summer option. It's, it, it also depends entirely on how you're drinking Twisted Tea too. If you're drinking it out of the bag, that's big respect for you. Big respect because that means you're probably finishing the whole thing, but I mean, the cans and the bottles, I, I love a good tween a bottle. I, I really do. Yeah, you know, coming from the Bronx, went to school at Fordham, so big, big drink of choice was tween in the bag coming from the gas stations there, big tall boys, the 24-ouncers. So highly recommend, and it's a great summer treat. So moving right along here, we will go into business. For those of you that don't know, the reason why we're having Frank on this show is not only because he lost a shotgunning contest to Will, but... Um, Frank, we like to think has some level of financial knowledge too, because, uh, Gabelli school of business over Fordham university, whoop de doo um, going to Barclays pretty soon, right. In a couple weeks, if you, yeah. right. If they didn't push anything back, of course. Um, so we like to think you kind of know what you're doing. Um, and the financial advice that we've been giving isn't really advice. We're just kind of reviewing what's going on. So, um, I feel like this will be cool just to, to rapid fire quickly look at some some stocks and talk about what's going on. Um, there were four that Will had brought up, and I, I'm basically right with it. We were spot on in kind of our planning this week. Um, we'll start with Peloton up 28% this week. They trade at PTON. Um, Peloton's a real interesting one. I think the, at, at face value, 
we saw some pretty good growth with them over the past couple of months. And we haven't really talked a ton about Peloton. I know Will brought it up every now and then, but Peloton's one of those weird ones where you expected them to do really well. So it's almost underwhelming in the sense that they haven't had the explosive growth that everyone's talking about so far. But again, people are at home. They don't want to go to gyms necessarily, especially the, the older crowd and the target market of people that are going to be willing to pay 2,500 bucks for hardware inside their home. So I don't know, Frank, I'm curious to see if you think this is, you know, what the analyst rating on this one um, would be for you as, in terms of buy, hold, sell. Yeah, I think at this point it's a hold. I think 58 or 56, somewhere trading around there. I mean, it's an expensive bike. It's an expensive treadmill. I know they have that as a new product. Um, I know that their app is really where a lot of the interest is lately. Offering the $12.99 a month, you know, you get a lot of their classes. You get a lot of their cycling classes, at-home workouts. You don't need a lot of equipment. It kind of fits with the times right now. I think a lot of people are going to realize, hey, I don't have to travel to the gym. I don't have to waste, you know, the 30-minute commute. I don't have to be next to people. I don't want to be next to using the equipment. Um, and just simply downloading an app is an easy way to do that. And then you do have enough people buying the bikes and the treadmills. I mean, they're backed up. Yeah. Um, it takes like eight weeks for them to get them to you. People are buying them. Um, they're selling like hotcakes. So I think I think it's it's a hold right now. I think a lot of the ratings have it in the low 60s as its target range. So um, I'd say it's a hold right now. It obviously jumped up around 30% this week. Um, not much more room to grow there, but I don't see it falling very much either. Yeah, and I mean, 28% is good. Don't get me wrong. I think we saw, relatively speaking, the things that people have their eyes on right now, which we've talked about, a lot of penny stocks for sure, but um, it's been a little bit more, just a little bit more high growth and the things that people mainly have their eyes on right now. So I think that, that naturally those are, going to be more attractive if they're growing more, but Peloton we've seen, I mean, consistent, um, pretty on target. Um, I, it's too early for an earnings call, obviously, but um, it, it's been on target growth so far. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, the addition of the Peloton app, people, more people are using it. You're exactly right. There's no real equipment. You, they have a certain level that you can um, use the Peloton app. I know my mom wanted to do the yoga. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, but there, there's so many people like her that are going to be around the world. I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of people that are going to be doing that same exact thing because they don't have to grab the bike. So I don't know. That, that should be one to keep our eyes on for sure. Uh, Smith and Wesson is another one. SWBI. Um, if that sounds familiar, it's guns, which I feel like any time that there's some kind of crisis or thing going on, it's very wise to own stock in firearms. Completely agree. I think it's again, going with the trends, going with the riots. You have kind of a storm of people that they want to be protected and with all the movement or that's going on in the streets and in the different cities, I think you have just a certain group of people that are saying, Hey, if you know, this spreads and if things continue to gravel and social unrest continues, then I think they want to protect themselves. So I think, I think it's expected what we've seen. Um, people are going to go, they're going to try to get guns, um, you know, use their second amendment. Right. Um, I think it's a little overvalued at this point going up 30% this week, obviously not 
um, anything really proprietary about their company. It's not a high growth company. Um, it's just more so, I guess, a fad or a fashion that you're kind of looking at where you have a company that's, you know, the outside noise is, is causing certain movement in terms of their buyers. And it's not going to last probably that much longer, assuming that like anything, you know, the, the protests will die down, the riots will die down and you'll see kind of business resume as normal. Yeah. So that's a really good point. Um, again, it's maybe this is a conversation for another podcast, but isn't it so fucked up that with all the stuff going on, it's just every America never fails to buy guns when things get bad. It's nuts. So it's obviously horrible. Uh, relatively speaking, it's like, wow. All right. All these people are buying guns with all the stuff going on. But I mean, the whole stock market is has time and time again been crashed when things go through the ringer pretty much it has made people rich in very dark times and i think it's probably going to continue to do so based on smith and weston's success for sure yeah i think i think it's really an example of just the market swaying it's emotional and it it's not exactly as technical as people believe it to be i think it it's a lot of emotional decisions that go into it. And now we see with the retail investors, especially you see kind of an added side of that when you add them to the traditional brokerages and the traditional professionals that even if they can be emotional, then imagine the, the everyday investor now getting involved. So, I mean, I yeah. Think yeah. With the guns though, back to the American revolution, 1776, we're a revolutionary kind. I think that's where it stems from and history tends to repeat itself. I, we, we've been seeing it for sure with our own two eyes. Um, we're just wild, wild stuff. Um, we talk about penny stocks too, and Kitov, Kitov, whatever, uh, they're an Israeli company. Um, Kitov Pharma is what this stock is called. That's we're going to look at next. Um, weird week for them. And it's been a weird month for them too, because they were, you know, they're, they're trading as a true penny stock around the 47 to, to 50 cents for most of their time in existence. Then all of a sudden it's, well, let me back up a little bit. I, I mean, I should say over the past probably two years, right? They're not really trading more over a dollar. In the past, you saw them get up to six bucks, five bucks, and then just a slow decline because of no real growth. And then all of a sudden they, they've, I guess, got some new drug opportunities coming out and they're crawling back up and they gained 50% alone last week. And now they're trading at a buck. So guess what? If you had dumped 400 bucks or something like that into, into Ketov pharma, pharmaceuticals, then you're... <laughs> You quite literally doubled your money, which is nuts. Crazy. These stocks, I feel like there's been so many of them lately, just since COVID and, and everything's happened. It's just these penny stocks that it's like you just got to pick one out of the hat. And if you get lucky, you're going to get 50% gains. It's crazy. Um, yeah, we did that with, we, we talked about Ideanomics last week and um, Express Spa as well. I mean, Express Spa, that's another one that looks exactly like, you know, they're, they're five-year statistics are in performance, I should say, they were trading pretty high and then they just crashed because they didn't really have any growth. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, they're doing the COVID testing in airports skyrockets back up. 
which yes. is nuts. I think we're probably going to see something similar here. You know, I, I do, I think this is the company that was working on a COVID drug of some sort. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think that we're going to see over the next few months on if these penny stocks are going to last for sure. Time will tell. I think that's exactly right. Time will tell. It's some of them are going to survive and some are going to go right back to their old bubbles. So we will see which ones are the best companies and which ones get a little bit lucky with this COVID and finding the vaccine or a drug for it. This last one is tortoise acquisition. This is weird. I found out about this this morning and I did a lot of research and it came up again because Tondo had told me that he had hopped in on this too. Um, that's another one that's up 38%. They are quite literally, they trade at SHLL. And if you're thinking, oh, that sounds like it's, you know, they're, they're trying to abbreviate shell of some sort. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, it, they are quite literally a shell company for an unknown. They don't know who they want to acquire or what, but all they've made clear is that they're going to acquire someone. So is it just the mystique of who they're going to acquire that's driving this price up or what? Yeah, I think, I think what we're seeing is that these SPACs, so they're the special interest groups basically formed with the goal of investing in one company or two companies um, based on the equity money that they've been given. And they're basically looking to get to buy a company whole and then kind of take it to an IPO together as one company. Um, and it's just an interesting space. We saw it with Nikola and VTech a couple weeks back, how much that one shot up. Um, I know we were both able to get in on that one, but it's crazy. I think, I think Tortoise is also um, looking at a, a company similar to Nikola um, and with like the, the battery powered delivery trucks and in that kind of hot space. I think it's, it's an interesting space. Someone's going to come out, I think, well above. I think it's going to be whoever comes out first is going to be the most successful. But you also can't count on Elon and, uh, and what Tesla's doing over there. So it'll be, I think it's going to be interesting. It's good to have this competition. I think it'll, it'll produce results and, and we'll see a big change in the trucking industry in the next 10 years. Ideonomics, too, is a, a weird one in that regard. It wasn't a SPAC like Tortoise is, but they're kind of the same deal. You know, they're a fintech holding company for these larger organizations that are like, all right, cool. Let's bring them into our, bring them onto the wing. So I don't know. I don't know if that's very just trendy right now to be a SPAC or to be just a, a holding company that IPOs at a stupid low price and then climbs its way back up after they start kind of just leaking hints or is, is that going to be a problem for, regulate like people that are regulating this industry or what yeah i mean i think it really is trendy honestly i hadn't really i heard about it a little bit in my internship last year but i've i've never really come across too many companies that were specs and you would think i mean they're acquiring a company at a certain market value that they you know they think it should trade at so it's kind of weird to see them jump up so much in value when it gets announced um you would think kind of the company that's being acquired would have wanted that premium as well um, being acquired, you know, being bought by one of these specs, it's like they're losing out on this value if they're selling for, you know, $10 a share and then it's trading in the market at 25 the next week. Um, so it's weird. It, it's definitely weird. Um, I think it is just a trend that we'll see. I'm not too sure about the regulation, but I think we'll see going forward that there might be more of these specs popping up. 
I'm curious for sure, because if Tortoise performs well, then I'm sure as hell hopping in on the next one. I, I think I'm, I might be a little too late to the party on Tortoise. It, it, some analysts still say bye, but I don't know. I, I don't think I can at this point. Um, that's pretty much it for the market. So keep your eyes on those. I, I certainly will be intrigued by Smith and Wesson and Tortoise. I, all eyes are going to be on Tortoise this week. Um, who knows? They don't really have a time frame for like when they're going to take the full go at acquiring somebody. So it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, and then we go into balls before we hop into our interview with John Fanta. As of yesterday at this point, so we're recording on Sunday. This is today for us. But a couple of hours before we sat down to record this, Cam Newton is not a Pittsburgh Steeler. He is not a Buffalo Bill. He's not a Seattle Seahawk. But, of course, he goes to the New England Patriots. What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, now, I'll, I'll give the Pats fan perspective for sure. It, this is a great move. I, I think it's a great move. Um, you are very unclear about what the next move is, right? The whole debate of Stidham and Hoyer, who's going to start, who's going to be calling the shots. Is Hoyer going to play the mentor role or is he going to have to go win football games? And then all of this is gone with one blink with Bill Belichick waving his wand and somehow they pull off Cam Newton for a deal less than 10 million bucks, which is great. I think everybody expected. They're not paying him the seven and a half million dollars that, they agreed on. So it's like a one year, seven and a half mil, but almost like none of that is guaranteed. It's incentive heavy. If he does well, and I think we, we have yet to hear what the certain milestones are, but the bottom line is if Cam Newton does well and then decides to leave, if he decides to leave new England after this, new England's getting picks out the wazoo. They're getting like three or four compensatory picks. This is fucking brilliant. He's got a lot of weapons He's got really quick running backs and receivers. So, I mean, this is, I think, a match made in heaven. I agree. I mean, it's Belichick at it again. Um, you know, everyone was counting him out already. And you see what he does. He goes up against Cam. There's almost no downside to this because you're bringing in an experienced quarterback. He started more games than Hoyer. He's had success. He's going to the Super Bowl. And this is kind of what you needed. I don't think – I think they like Stidham. I don't think they love him, and I don't think that he was ready after one year to go in and be the starter. I think that's why there was so much talk around Hoyer. And I think now you got Cam. He's, he's going to waltz right into the starting spot. If he does poorly, you've got Stedham for next year or to come in during the year if he's not healthy. And if he's healthy and he plays well, you either keep him or you're going to get the picks back. So I think there's no downside to this, um, especially with Belichick. He's not going to cause any issues in the locker room. He sees how much his values decrease probably because of some of those things. So right. I think it's a perfect, I think it's a perfect move by the Patriots. He is also going to be, I can't wait till he posts it when it becomes official because he's <laughs> going to type in that weird ass font. Like he always does. Like, I mean, I, I will say I did not see this coming at all. I was not even thinking they'd be close to discussing this, but 
Bill just made it happen again. I, I think this might also be a little bit of Bill saying, you know, I'm not fucking around. I'm totally fine with leaving my legacy in my own hands instead of Tom Brady and Kraft's hands. I think that could be another angle to look at here too. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm excited. As a Pats fan, I'm excited. I think this is – I think we went from being in a rebuilding I don't think – and, I mean, to be honest, I didn't know about the AFC East this year heading into it. I think you yeah. give us him. I mean, he was doing good with the Panthers before he got injured, of course. But now you got Cam, Nikhil Harry, hopefully back, Sanu, Adelman. Most of the defense is coming back. You still have the McCordys. You have the leadership. You have the running backs. I think I think they're set for a run. I think that I think it puts them right as the team to beat in the AFC East again. And I think they'll bet buy in the first round again. Sure. And a couple of quick things to wrap up the ball segment here. Um, UFC on ESPN actually debuted on Saturday night. So pretty cool stuff. I don't think ESPN's ever carried uh, UFC, no? I think it's been – I think they've had it for the last, like, six to eight months with the whole ESPN Plus. They kind of mix it in. Some of them you get for free. Some of them are just on Plus. Some of them you right. got pay-per-view. Um, I think it's been, like, the last six months. But they've they've been having them every couple of weeks, um, at least during this quarantine. That, right, for sure. Yeah. I, I think the angle is more um, – until this point, we really never had UFC as much as uh, what is going on now, for sure. I mean, it's every week, pretty much, which is really cool. Yeah. Just take over a convention center in Vegas and, and duke it out. Um, Dustin Poirier last night, in what, for full disclosure, I did not watch this, um, but I was looking at the highlights of that match. I usually do because I, I don't watch the events live. They're late on Saturdays, but I'll see them on TV in the morning on Sundays and Mondays and all that stuff and on Twitter. And so Dustin Poirier defeats Dan Hooker in what was actually a, a very tight matchup for a bit. And one of the clips that I was watching, there's a minute straight of them just connecting and connecting and connecting to the head too. They beat the shit out of each other. So even if you don't like UFC, you, you at least have to appreciate this because this is just people fighting right now. And I think that was a really, really good one. And it was really well perceived too. Yeah. I mean, I think personally it was the best fight of the year. These guys were just standing there and going blow for blow. I mean, Hooker came out first two rounds. He had a slight lead. And you had Poirier coming in at the in the last three um, and just like completely dominating from that point on. But Hooker was just eating everything. There were so many punches both ways where you thought one of them was going to go down, and they just stayed up and and fought the full five rounds. And I think I think Poirier puts himself right back in contention and in that lightweight division. It's going to be interesting. There's a lot of good guys in that division, and and I think that it was just an amazing fight all around there. You couldn't even recognize both of them afterwards. It was crazy. But Yeah, I saw a picture of uh, both of their faces. Actually, Hooker's face was really screwed up, but his eyes were, like, swollen shut. I mean, that's a hell of a fight. And it was – I think it went to the scorecards, too. So, they, they went in five rounds, and they uh, – it, it was pretty much like, yeah, Poirier's going to win the fight. But, I mean – Generally speaking, when you get those kinds of fights, you almost want to call them a toss-up because just the way that they were eating punches all night, I think it's almost unfair to say that one person should have won that fight. Yeah, and it, I think it was the first main event that I've seen at least in which going into the fifth round, it was anyone's it was anyone's match. They were both tied two rounds. Yeah. Some people, I know like the live lines even after round two and three were they had Hooker winning. So 
it was a little bit of a comeback. Poirier kind of just stuck to his game plan and just kept eating punches and just was able to deliver enough at the end. So I think it was it was just a good fight because you never knew who was going to win till the end. Um, and then I think he kind of had a commanding fifth round, but a lot of respect to Hooker as well. I mean, they both fought extremely well. Yeah, I mean, lightweight's a really weird division in UFC too. It's, it's not really, I guess, or class, I should say, right? But it's you look at this roster and you can arguably say that the best guys quote unquote in the UFC are, are in this class. I mean, you have Khabib of course, who's, he is what he is. Fuck him. I hate him. Um, I mean, Justin Gaethje just won a sick fight. Uh, Ferguson's up there too. Obviously he was on the losing end um, a couple of days ago, but you have Poirier, you have McGregor, you have Hooker up there too. Poirier is number three in that uh, in that class now, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's stacked. I think it's the best the best class out of all of them. Um, but I mean, UFC's doing doing a hell of a job. They're getting good fighters. They have a lot of interesting guys, and they have guys that at the top are just fighting good fights. And and you know, Dana's doing a good job of just kind of putting it all together and. I kind of hope that, I mean, we got the fight at Island coming up, obviously, but hopefully we see some more of these title fights and these more, you know, number two versus number three contenders because there's so many good guys right now. It's like they can go every two weeks and have a main event that is just featuring, like, the top people in the sport. So I think that they've been one of the bigger winners of, of COVID. They've been taking over that slot on ESPN and, and taking advantage of it. A couple more before we wrap up uh, our time here before we hop into Fanta, of course. Um, NBA's coming back and baseball's coming back. you have any predictions on who's going to win the NBA Finals? Oof. Finals, I will go with the Clippers. Okay. I will go and... and they have the- a hot matchup right out of the gate with the Lakers, too. So, interesting stuff. And then, in the baseball realm, who... So, let, let's, let's do this here. Do you think there's going to be a 400 hitter in baseball this year with 60 games? James and I talked about it this week, and I want to hear what your thoughts are. No, I think I think the timing is going to be a little tough. It'll be easier for the pitchers earlier on. I think you'll see the hitters be a little off on their timing. This has now been, what, like nine months since they've had game yeah. action or something. Um, I think that they're going to be a little off. I think you'll have some guys challenged when they get hot, you know, 10 games in. I think that – they're going to be slow out of the gates. I think we're going to have a lot of unders early on. That's fair. Cool. Well, that's really all we have for our segment. Um, Frank, I'll let you say a, a quick last little message and hope you enjoyed your 10 plus minutes. Cause this was not 10 minutes, but um, <laughs> anywhere where our listeners can find you on social media. Thank you. Jake. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram, Frank underscore a two on Twitter, Frank underscore the underscore tank 98. Um, not too active when I start up work, but for now I should be for the next few weeks, but appreciate being on quick. Here. Um, none of my thoughts on stocks are associated with Barclays. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you have to, but, but um, no, I appreciate being on for sure. Frank Perez, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's hop into our guest for this week. John Fanta, uh, he, the man's done it all. College basketball commentator. He's the on-air face for Fox Sports of most college basketball games. Um, Very cool interview with me, Will and John. So without further ado, here is our guest, John Fanta. 
All right, folks, another great interview for you here on Beers, Business, and Balls. We have a good friend of the show, a good friend of mine, and a college basketball personality, if you know anything about Twitter or you follow the sport, the Big East's very own John Fanta. John, thanks for coming on, man, and it is really good to see your mug on the other side of the Zoom. Jake, it's good to see you, too. I mean, it's been a, a couple months uh, since I've seen your face. So it's just great to see your face. It means that I'm, I'm getting some normalcy here, which, uh, which is exciting right now. It's, it's good to see some sports starting to get the wheels turning. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel, man. And I'm excited to talk about that and much more with you tonight. Yeah, for sure. And we'll start off. Th there really is a light at the end of the tunnel, first of all. I think it's nice to be talking about a sport that is that actually has it together in basketball because Will and I have been – ranting about baseball for the past weeks and whatnot that's another mess but we'll, we'll talk about that uh you know maybe if if the wind blows that way later on but let's start with the kid the teenager the the middle schooler john fanta you grew up in cleveland ohio you uh have been involved with sports even if it's not necessarily playing them and being a famed high school athlete and going on and getting a co college scholarship um but you knew that you wanted to have some kind of line of work in sports. Tell us about how. Well, growing up in Cleveland, you live, breathe, sleep, bleed, Browns, Indians, Cavs. It is a part of life that in the fall, on Friday nights, you've got St. Ignatius and local football. I went to St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland. Friday and Saturday nights is all about high school football. Saturday noon, 3.30, sometimes at 8 o'clock at night, you got Ohio State. Everybody becomes scarlet and gray on Saturdays. Uh, it's the Buckeyes. And then on Sunday, you turn the page, and here they are, your Cleveland Browns. And we, we watched a lot more defeats than wins, <laughs> but we drank a lot more beers than losses, which is saying something. Because there's been a lot of losses, uh, but those have been uh, – the beers have outweighed them. So I'll tell you what, when you grow up that way and you grow up with that lifestyle, you're watching a lot of sporting events. And for me, I'm watching the Indians during the dog days of summer, and I'm hearing Tom Hamilton on the radio, and then I'm listening to Matt Underwood and Rick Manning on the TV call, and I remember thinking to myself, man, it is so cool. And it really hit me with baseball because you're playing every day. They're doing the games every day. And I remember being six, seven years old and thinking to myself, these guys go into work every day and they call baseball games. Man, this would be really cool to do. And to know at that early of an age is, is a blessing. That's all I can describe it as. It's, it's, I've been incredibly fortunate to turn that dream of mine into a career that hasn't been talking about baseball every single day but covering a premier college basketball conference and having one hell of a ride, especially from November to, to April every single year and beyond uh, covering college sports. So that's how it started for me in Cleveland. I was fortunate. I went to St. Bernadette School for my elementary school, middle <laughs> school, junior high. For high school, went to Ignatius, which has produced 11 state football championships, soccer, national success, hockey, baseball, called about 300 live events for them on their 
their website, which is a one camera crew, one camera, and very, very basic streaming. But guys, that's how I, I learned from my mistakes. I learned from getting reps. And I said to myself, I want to take this to college. And then that's how the Seton Hall chapter really began. Uh, but I credit my love for sports to growing up a Browns, Indians, and Cavs fan and still being on those bandwagons. Yes, I am not a Fairweather fan, and I take great pride <laughs> in that. I'm never going to leave my Cleveland Browns. You had your highs and you have your lows, and I think, I think the Browns are on the high. I think they're on the high. On the come up. I like, <laughs> your, I like you already, Will. I like you already. You know, I like we have I, of this. I mean, the Browns, you have, you know, Baker's still a young quarterback. You have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, which is a, that's a deadly duo. You I have mean, a Baker mustache going. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's all about you have it's quarantine. You got to rip the mustache. And yeah, Baker, Baker's an electric guy. I do have a Baker's jersey, so I'm not, I'm a fan of him. Well, and here's the thing briefly on Baker, he is going to be on his fourth head coach with Kevin. It's not fair to him. It's not Hugh fair Jackson, to him. Greg Williams, the disaster that was Trailer Park Boy, Freddie oh. Kitchens. <laughs> and now you've got Kevin Stefanski, who's structured, who, who has a, a very distinct mindset of run first. You know, not this, we're going to go five out and just sling it. You know, we're going to be balanced. And the Browns have two really good running backs, one of the best in the league, I think, in Nick Chubb. And then you've got another one in Kareem Hunt. Their future's in a good place. They have one of the best wide receiver cores in the NFL. If Odell Beckham puts a smile on his face and is, does his job and Jarvis Landry does his job, the Browns could be a very good football team coming up here soon. I, I'd have to agree with you, to be honest. Um, and let's go back to what you had just originally said, too, about the, the high school broadcasting. Um, how important was it for you in your career to have a high school that, albeit – you know, was just a single camera, probably maybe not even a mixer. You guys were probably just running a, a mic into a computer or something like that. How important was it to even have the opportunity to call those 300 live events for a renowned high school in the area? Oh, it was incredibly important. And I am indebted to St. Ignatius High School because they gave me chances in high school and they taught me how to interact with coaches and players and just taught me how to, you know it, Jake, covering games. There's a certain media etiquette that you have to learn. To learn that in high school and just how to represent myself at those types of events. When I walked into my first college sporting event, I had an established confidence. I had an established behavior. And that really made it easier for me to make that transition to college. So for St. Ignatius to give me what they did in a broadcasting network and allowing me to really be the face and the voice of that. Um, and there were other guys that were very capable of doing that. Ignatius, the broadcasting network now has about 50 people in it. When I was going there for high school, it had about 15. So timing's everything, right? Like now there's 50 and there's real competition. You got a couple guys calling games throughout the year. When there were 15, I was the primary voice of, of football, one of the primary voices of basketball and of baseball. And then I'd jump in and I would host pregame and postgame for the other sports I didn't know as well, but I got those types of reps in. So <clears throat> it ended up being 
so, so important for me to get those reps at that age because it's benefited me to a point where I'm 24 and I'm really grateful to have the roles that I do today. I wouldn't have them if it hadn't been for the on-air experience at St. Ignatius High School. I can tell you that without a doubt. And you make a good point, and I'm glad high schools are starting to start building up their programs, not only in broadcasting, but in a whole variety of different uh, topics. But from my high school, when I was there, we had, like, we just started a radio station, and it was a rinky-dink radio station. There was, like, five of us, and now I'm five, six years out of high school, and they have a full broadcasting studio. They had an endowment to recreate a studio, and they're doing morning shows. They're doing game coverage, and that's just something that's like, okay, in six years, they're finally realizing, like, what do kids want to develop, and what kind of traits do they want to, you know, bring to college for that next level, and they're providing it at high school. It's not just, you know, textbook and sports teams anymore. It's now it's building it into bigger programs. Absolutely. And sports is our way of playing the game. Uh, Rather, broadcasting is our way of playing the game. You know, we're not athletic enough to throw a touchdown pass. Um, I was a bad left guard my first two years of high school, and I feared for my quarterback's life. lives uh, that's never good when the lineman is fearing for their quarterback's lives (laughs) exactly not not good not good not good at all and not an ideal situation um sorry to some of those scout team quarterbacks that took a couple hard hits because I wasn't I wasn't getting there in time that said (laughs) broadcasting became my way of playing the game you know I ended up going the booth and after my sophomore year of of High school football, my coach was like, yeah, you know what, this whole football thing might not be cut out for you, but what about talking about that whole broadcasting thing? And so that's become my way of doing it, and, and um, it's our way of doing it, and I've really, really enjoyed it. So I, I think that for me, it's, it's been – it was so – as my mom walks in, life at home. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, been, um, it's been invaluable. It's been invaluable. And I would, I would suggest the same thing to high schools – Invest in your program because it's so important for those kids who might not be as athletic but still want to be involved in sports. And you could set them up to get that job down the road because they have some experience heading into college where getting on air reps in college is so, so competitive. Instead of like 15 to 40, you're talking about the hundreds. And you make, I mean, you definitely had yourself prepared you know your training wheels were off by the time you got into college which obviously made you and you're very talented but it already puts you ahead of everyone else that might have had the same talent as you or might have even been more talented you had already that preparation and those prereqs you can even say on the broadcasting and the journalism side so now tell us about your transition into college so you know you step into that first day of school and tell us like how you even got your name you got your foot you got your foot in the door rather yeah amazing story um because it, it goes back to timing and being fortunate so i had gotten to seton hall august of 20, 2013 and had been so used to calling games in high school and doing a game a day in some respects so i get to seton hall and i i was writing my own blog i was working on my own blog just putting things together to to just like recaps, previews of Seton Hall games, just to show Seton Hall, hey, I've got some materials on you. Um, I ended up getting a Twitter direct message from Tony Bazella, the Seton Hall women's basketball coach, 
reaches out to me and said, hey, love to meet you, seeing some of your content. Was like, yes, all in. <laughs> Ended up meeting with him. He sets me up with the Athletic Communications Department at Seton Hall. They have their own broadcast network that they were just starting up. And they're like, hey, can you run camera on our broadcast? Well, for me, it was like, this is an opportunity and I am taking it, yes. So I'm the cameraman on, on some broadcasts. Uh, look, internally, I'm thinking about it. For WSOU, the, the student radio station, I was going to have to take like a, a four-month class to even start broadcasting games. For the Setonian, the student newspaper, going to have to take a bit of a, a class to start writing for the paper. So that was hard. So you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to get noticed here? Because I'm, I'm chomping at the bit. You know, I don't want to wait. Um, and so about the third week in, there's a Seton Hall women's soccer game against Bucknell. Now, I had not done soccer in high school. I had never done play-by-play -play for soccer. The game the night before, the night before the game was supposed to be played, it got postponed to, due to lightning and storms and awful weather. It was supposed to be on a Thursday night in South Orange. They're going to postpone the game to Friday night in South Orange. So now it's Friday night at 7 Eastern time instead of Thursday. So the guys who were supposed to call the game for the broadcasting network, they weren't able to make it Friday night. They had another commitment. So at that point, the network was going to tap into the student radio feed, which you see sometimes on streams. They just tap into the students. The student radio feed, the students were out with the men's soccer team doing a special weekend of coverage. They were at an invitation on the road. And the student radio station didn't have this plan in their programming. So there, there's nobody there. And the head of athletic communications comes up to me and says, hey, I don't know much about you. I've watched a couple minutes of your football tape. Want to give it a whirl on this soccer? I looked at him. I said, yes. Took out two blank pieces of paper from the printer, started taking down lineups, got on my laptop, started looking at quick facts about both teams, proceeding to call a 110-minute scoreless draw <laughs> by myself. But you know what? I got done with the game, and somebody came up to me, um, one of the, the heads of the athletic department, they said, when, you can, when can you do your next game? When can you be back? And that was how it all started, of just one opportunity after a stormy night in South Orange. That thunderstorm, you know, unfortunate for Bucknell, they had to pay another night in the hotel and for Seton Hall. I had to, it was my biggest luck. It was, it was the luckiest thing that could have happened because then it led to me getting real opportunity after opportunity and rep after rep. John, in That's our fate. industry, yeah, it, it literally is fate. You're right, Will. Um, in our industry, John, <clears throat> and more importantly, I think in the one that you're full-time and embedded in, how important is it to say yes to just everything? It's, it is everything. Just say yes. You do not know what it's going to lead to. I have two stories about this. One time that I said yes and then ended up getting worn out and said no. And another time that I said yes, and it really paid off. So think about this. Two summers ago, softball is basically having a world tournament, a world tournament to determine who's going to go in the Olympics. It was the, the softball world series, you know, teams from across the world, playing team USA being the top team they ended up winning this thing 
So the games are going to be broadcast out of Montclair State University in a bunch of control rooms, and they were going to be broadcast on 11 sports and flow sports, just when flow was starting. So they asked me, uh, they, I got asked through a friend of a friend, uh, our good, our friend Dave Popkin, Dave, who, who's oh, yeah. a great broadcaster. Yep. Dave says, hey, they're looking for somebody. You're in New Jersey. Are you into it? And it was like two or three weeks that I had time. I'm like, I'm in. I sign up for like 12 games. They're paying like, they're not paying much. They're paying like 200 a game. You know, I'm up at, these games are being played. They were being played out in, I think, Japan or Korea. These games were going on at midnight, 3 a.m., 6 a.m. first pitches. So I'm at Montclair State on their campus at midnight and 3 a.m. doing <laughs> softball, getting on an NJ transit train and going into the city for work than for a full day of work. That said, I get like two weeks into it. Guys, I'm worn out. Like I'm, my batteries are just dead. They asked me if I want to do the playoffs. They asked me if I want to do the championship game. I ended up calling off uh, for like the final two nights. I had no energy left in the tank to get to Montclair State. I just <clears> couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, and a colleague of mine ends up doing the championship game, and the United States wins in walk-off fashion. Oh. The clip gets posted to Twitter the next morning by ESPN. Oh, no. Millions of people are seeing it. Millions. Now, look, for me, I was, I was really happy for that colleague, but I was kicking myself because I didn't take on that opportunity. But I can honestly say that's a time where I wish I would have said yes to everything and batteries being emptied or not, it goes back to another lesson. Know your limitations. You know, know when you, when you can say yes and make sure that you're saying yes at a certain point to the most important things so you don't miss out on something like that happening. I was calling Japan and South Korea, uh, but then I ended up missing on the United States and, and Japan and ended up missing out on the, on the biggest call of the tournament. But that's, that's neither here nor there. I'll give you another one. Last summer in Hoboken, New Jersey, I'm at a bar. I'm at Mills Tavern. A guy comes up to me and asks me if, if I'm John Fanta. I didn't know him from Joe Smith. I didn't know him. I said, yeah, yeah, what's up, man? And he goes, uh, you know, I'm from the NBA. Um, I, you know, we, we proceed to buy a drink. We're at the bar. It's loud. It's a Saturday night. He goes, hey, we've got an event coming up next week, this junior NBA championship next week. He goes, would you be interested in calling some games down in Orlando? I'm like, sure. Tell me <laughs> when and where. Ended up calling. Let's see. It was, let's see, it was like a, I ended up calling like 15 games in four days. Wow. It was crazy. And um, I cannot tell you, saying yes to that, to that guy inside a bar in Hoboken at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night led me to that gig, led me to the NBA G League showcase for NBA TV and ESPN this past December on Las Vegas, and I think could end up leading me to other things, all because I said yes at a sports bar to broadcast games between 12 to 15-year-old kids that maybe not as many people were watching, but it said to the NBA, hey, this kid will hustle for us. I think it sounds a little bit better after a couple of rum and Cokes too, no? I was going to say that one more drink was like, <laughs> you got to thank that drink. Um, 
<laughs> I wouldn't say yes, drinking water too, but you're right, Jake. No, it, it certainly <laughs> added to the fun of it. And when you can, when, you know, we, we love this industry because we get to do games or whatnot, and then we grab a bite to eat or we go off for a beer and, you know, we, we get to bond over that kind of stuff. So when you could do 12 to 15 year old basketball all day and then hit up the Gaylord Palms for a couple of, uh, couple of beers or, or spirits after the games it, it does make the games uh, flow a little bit faster when you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel with some drinks hey or when you've got a uh, a sausage egg and cheese from LaSalle Bakery and then head <laughs> over to the dunk like we did back in January <laughs> that's uh, exactly right you're fueled up right. you're you're feeling it you know you go out for maybe a beer after it's uh it's fun um going back to basketball now when you're at Seton Hall you literally watch a transformation of a team that goes from around 500. I think they were 17 and 17 your freshman year, and then, you know, 16 and 18 after. And then your junior year, they go 25 and 9, and they make the tournament. And in the thick of in your career at Seton Hall, who's someone who loves basketball and loves sports, you see one of the coolest stories in the Big East over the past few decades what were your, some of your favorite memories from that Pirates basketball team while you were a student and doing work for them? Well, I, I think back to my sophomore year, and Isaiah Whitehead comes in to Seton Hall. You're talking about, you know, a, a guy that was getting four or five-star reviews in, in high school. Kevin Willer was bringing in a, a top-tier kid out of New York City. And with Whitehead comes Kadeen Carrington, Angel Delgado, Desi Rodriguez. They come in. The program's got anticipation. The fan base is hyped up for the first time in a while. It was the most anticipated Seton Hall recruiting class in years. And for Willard, it was the make-or-break class. He was going to win with this class or it wasn't going to happen. He's entering year six on the job. Like, it's got to happen now. Well, the new year turns – they had beaten USF. Um, they had beaten a couple other teams, but they didn't have any great wins, particularly. Um, and they face St. John's on New Year's Eve, a ranked St. John's team. They win that game. And then they turn the corner and they face Villanova, who's number six in the country. And they shock Villanova. Sterling Gibbs is the national player of the week. Whitehead was down with an injury, but Carrington comes up in the clutch. Delgado's playing at a high level, and it's like this team, <clears throat> Seton Hall basketball's back. Well, those freshmen, you got some immaturity, and you've got Sterling Gibbs, and now you've got Jaron Cena, a sophomore, and everybody collides. You've got dysfunction, you've got all kinds of things, and the car crashes and burns, and it's a it's a classic example in college basketball that if you've got personalities on the team, things can go bad and they can go bad quickly. So the following year comes up and it's the, the thought in mind for the 2015-16 season, guys, was Seton Hall, it's now or never. They've got to get it done this year. And what we proceeded to watch was something really special. And what I look at is this was a Seton Hall team that coming down the stretch, there was still some uncertainty. Like, was this team actually going to produce a March Madness birth? Were they actually going to do all the things that we thought that they could do? They had a week to really lock in their, their fate. At home against Providence on a Thursday, and then Xavier on a Sunday, their senior day. 
Isaiah Whitehead took Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn was now in the NBA with the Bulls. Isaiah Whitehead took him out back, went off, and Seton Hall beat Providence off the floor. It's as mad as I've ever seen Ed Cooley after a game. Wow. Three days later, the lower bowl of the Prudential Center sold out for a Seton Hall-Xavier game. Remember, Xavier's a newer Big East member. It's not like they're Georgetown or St. John's or Villanova. That said, Seton Hall basketball is back, and the Pirates take down a top-five-ranked Xavier team. Place is going bonkers. I'm thinking to myself, this team is playing good enough basketball that they could do something at the Garden. And it carried right into Madison Square Garden. They win their first game over Creighton by a small margin. Cole Huff had like 38 points. Seton Hall (laughs) still staves off a comeback. They win. All along these lines, Whitehead's making plays. Carrington, Derek Gordon, the senior, the UMass transfer, was excellent for that Pirates team. And people don't talk about how good he was experience-wise, defensively. They don't talk about him enough. Seton Hall beats Xavier in the semis. I remember the feeling of, like, goosebumps. It was surreal. It's like Seton Hall is going to play for a Big East championship. And it took the perfect game to Vill- against Villanova. They played the perfect game. Isaiah Whitehead hits the N1, and it's pandemonium. Pandemonium at the Garden, a program-changing night. And Seton Hall, in a year that Kevin Willard had to win, goes from the basement to a Big East championship ring. And as a student at the time, and working with the Big East Digital Network, they said, hey, you do the post-game interviews on the floor. Those guys were in tears. I was emotional because I had known how low it was. I had known how bad times had gotten for that program. You get emotional thinking about it. These guys are humans too. We're humans too. We got to tell the story, but for a feel-good story like that, you do get choked up a little bit because you say all that work, all those lows, they resulted in this high. And that was pretty damn cool. That's awesome to hear, especially, you know, not only as your employer necessarily, but like you were a student and a fan too. I mean, anytime like we went to Bryant games and obviously Bryant was nothing special, but when they won, you were like, let's go. Like, that's pretty sick. And when they lost, you're know, like, damn, like <laughs> another <laughs> shit loss. But speaking on Seton Hall, you know, this is just a fun question. You got to start one, you got to bench one, and you got to cut one. Miles Powell, Angel Delgado, and Isaiah Whitehead. What are you going who are you going with? Give me the scenario again. You got to start one, you got to cut one, and you got to bench one. I have to cut one of Delgado, yeah. Whitehead, or is it Carrington? I said uh, uh, Powell. Powell. Oh, my gosh. You can't, you're going to break them, Tondo. You're going to break this one. <laughs> you're going to break me. I'm, gonna, I'm starting Powell because he's the first Seton Hall American since 1953. I am going to bench – Delgado, because he's a crybaby. And, uh, and Isaiah Whitehead, I, I guess I have to unfortunately cut, which is just terrible to have to do. <laughs> but Delgado's the Big East all-time leading rebounder. Yeah. So I, I got, I'm just putting him on the bench. And, it, and the benching works, works more for Angel. But if I had to decide between Whitehead and Powell, Powell's a four-year player. He is arguably the most important player in program history. I know that sounds crazy, but it might be true, guys. Think about the brand that he took. Think about the brand of the university that he was able to lift. Miles Powell, I'm starting him every day of the week. Damn right. Now, if you <laughs> swapped out, here's a hypothetical, just to keep with the times here. Yeah. If you swapped out, let's make this interesting. Let's say Whitehead for Roe Gill. 
Now you've got two rebounders. What right. does anything change here? You still cutting Gill and keeping Delgado? I'm cutting in. Gill. Okay. All right. That was quick. I'm cutting Gill. But um, what would be interesting? Let's see. What what would be interesting on here? It, it would be interesting if you gave me like. I'm trying to think. No, you you're on I the right. That was a good one. That Gill. first one was and a good one. Carrington's another player. He just does not get enough credit for how good of a player he was. And he was so clutch at the garden. I'd have a tough time cutting ways with him. I mean, I have a tough time cutting ways with Gill, but because he was only good for one year, you know, Delgado was a four-year player. Powell was a four-year player. Whitehead was not. So I'm going to credit those guys in college that stayed that long. Now, if you swapped Gill with Dallimbear, Sam Dallimbear, does it change? No. <laughs> no. Delgado was more accomplished than Dallimbear. Yeah. Yep, I don't doubt it. And that. somehow, yeah, and somehow Dallenbear's the yeah. guy from Seton Hall that represents the NBA. It's crazy. Here's the, here's the real question. Let's flip this here to Providence College for a moment. You could do Bryce Cotton, Chris Dunn, Tyron Cartwright. That game would be tough. You're probably start Dunn. I, I, you have to. It's hard because if Cartwright – I'll tell you what. If Kyron Cartwright leads Providence to a Big East title two years ago, he writes a legend. Like, yeah, that would have yeah. been absolutely legendary. Oh, my God. Unquestionably. And so the, close to doing it. Yeah. And you think about guys even still, I feel like Bryce Cotton is growing in popularity now, too, among Providence fans just with his successes abroad. But you have to think, Chris Dunn was really – and Cooley will admit this. You know, you're a good friend of Cooley, John. He'll admit all the time that Dunn was probably the best player he's had on that roster. 1,000%. One thousand. I mean, Chris Dunn just had he was out of this world athletically, and he he got in your head. He was a killer, man. He really was. So, John, you were just talking about you know your time at Seton Hall, and obviously your transition from high school to college. But now we're going to head on to that big uh, that big step where you were snatched up by the Big East. So, kind of tell us your current role of you know as many would say as a jack of all trades and what you actually do. So I am going to be entering into my fourth year, which is hard to believe. Oh, that's nuts. Four years already? Yeah, my fourth year with the, the Big East Digital Network as the host of Big East Shootaround, a weekly digital show highlighting all the storylines in Big East men's basketball. So we've got coaches, players. It's every Thursday afternoon. It's live on the Big East Twitter, at Big East. Um, it's on the YouTube page. You can catch it on my Twitter at John underscore Fanta. And it has been, it's been great to host that show because the conference really focuses on basketball all year round. And so we've got content constantly. Uh, when you don't have football as your main, as your main thing, um, basketball takes the number one spot. And that's why it's been a lot of fun to host that show year round because it's always at the front of the table. Um, on top of that with the Big East, I'm a play-by-play -play announcer that handles a, a bulk of the women's basketball coverage um, throughout the season. I call soccer, though. I call baseball, softball, track and field, tennis, all different kinds of events for the league as uh, their main voice on the Big East Digital Network and do a variety of different things uh, for them in terms of interviewing reporting on teams throughout the year. I'm on site at the NCAA tournament. 
um, covered a national championship men's soccer team in Georgetown this past year, and then a couple of national championship squads with Villanova in the recent years in 2016 and 18. In addition, I'm a play-by-play announcer for Fox Sports. Did about 20 college basketball games for them this past year. Handled uh, the majority of their women's package in the Big East and handled uh, a majority of the Big East women's basketball tournament, which was a pleasure. And have done some men's basketball, and I'm hopeful for for more as the years go on with Fox, but uh, have been very fortunate to have this Big East role and to be able to really parlay it into a role with Fox Sports doing college basketball play-by-play for them intermixed in my roles throughout the season. John, I will never forget when – I forgot who exactly it was, but when it was Providence and NJIT this past year, and someone from back here in Fairfield County, Connecticut, was watching the Yes Network, and they're like, hey, do you know that guy? He was pretty good. I'm like, yeah, it's John Fanta. He's a friend of mine, but um, – it just, it's really cool, those small moments where, you know, yeah, sure, it's, some may say, oh, it's a Providence versus NJIT, who's NJIT, but at its core, it's Fox Sports, and it's Yes Network, and it's cool to see, you know, the fruits of your labor payoff for sure, but I want to know, what is your favorite game that you've called? It doesn't have to be necessarily on Fox, I just kind of assume that it would be, but your favorite game, and then we, we've got some follow-up questions for sure on that. How about the Highlanders, briefly, though, for NJIT, heading to the America East. Yep. It's a great move for them. Brian Kennedy's done a good job with that program. Their trajectory is, is high. America East fans are soon going to learn the name Zach Cooks. He's going to be one of the more underrated senior guards across America. Hmm. Get ready for Zach Cooks in the America East. Good for did NJIT, you, the move that makes sense. And did you also follow that drama between – so Goodman, your yeah. friend, broke the news that NJIT is going to the America East. The Atlantic Sun commissioner comes on and says, no, they're not, but it turns out that it might have been debunked. <laughs> yes, it was. And it was an old takes exposed moment within 24 hours for the yep. A-Sun commission. But uh, good for the Highlanders. I digress. In terms of my favorite game, you know, that sums up college basketball. I've done, a, I've done a number of close women's games, but a men's game that comes to mind um, was December of 2018. I'm in my first year with Fox, really doing a steady amount of college basketball. And it's right before Christmas. I mean, after this game, it was December 21st, I am hopping on a plane and flying home for Christmas, as is pretty much everybody that wasn't from around D.C., that day the game's a high noon start it's on fox sports networks georgetown is facing arkansas little rock they have a new coach they're one year removed from the chris beard era little rock's coming into dc the night before the game i go to the shoot around it was out of the way i always try to get to a shoot around especially with a team that i don't know as as much about make an effort get there talk to the coach talk to some players and get as much as I can on Arkansas Little Rock, who I didn't know a whole lot about. When we first sat down, uh, I was talking to their head coach, and he just he turns to me and he says, um, we're going to win this game tomorrow. And, you know, mid-major coaches more times than not will look at the play-by-play guy and say, you know, we're trying to get better. We're preparing for our league. Um, it's another step in the process. The fact is we're making a paycheck from Georgetown, and this benefits us because it gets us on Fox. You know, 
they had the mindset they were going to win that game. And Little Rock's had success in recent NCAA tournaments. They, they knocked off Purdue a couple years ago, and, and they've had some success. Um, the game tips off the next day at noon. Kind of a dead crowd. The students are gone from campus. So you've got that going for you if you're Little Rock. But the whole game, Georgetown's up. I'm doing the game with Tariq Turner. Yep. And we get, we get to about the 10-minute mark in the game. Georgetown's up like 10. And all of a sudden, a kid named Rayshon Tucker uh, for Arkansas Little Rock just turns it on. And he can't miss. And um, Little Rock just starts to find themselves. They're hitting some clutch shots. But they still are within two or three possessions. They can't get down to one. Well, we got a minute left. I think Georgetown's up five. Little Rock hits a two. They foul. They're down four. They hit another two. They go down six. They hit a three. Georgetown um, goes to the line after Little Rock hits a three with, like, Three seconds on the clock. Little Rock just hoping for a prayer. They're down two. Georgetown makes one free throw. They, they missed the first. They made the second. Three-point game. Little Rock gets the ball with, like, three seconds left. And Tucker hits a 45-foot shot to send the game into overtime. And Little Rock is going crazy. And I just felt out, Christmas comes early. <laughs> or Little Rock. And we go into overtime. Mac McClung goes off for the Hoyas. They win a close game. McClung hits a couple of really clutch shots. It ends up being a Sports Center highlight that night for how good of a game it was. And Georgetown survives. And I do mean survives uh, in D.C. But I, I remember getting off the air and I got a call from one of the guys who hired me. And he's just like, that right there, that two hours is, is why you were hired. It's, it's why you were brought in. Because you went into a two hours thinking this isn't going to be much of a game. But you made it a game. And it ended up being a game. And you guys got rewarded for taking that assignment. Little Rock, Georgetown didn't look like much on paper. It ended up being a great game. And I walked out of it that day. And I'm just like, I hope I do this for the rest of my life. Because these are the types of moments. Like, I went back home that night. I ended up watching the game again with my grandpa. Like, that's how fun of a game it was to call. So that was your gift. Is is that your favorite line that you've said on the call, or do you have something else that sticks out just out of curiosity? Christmas comes early has to be up there. Christmas comes early was was a good one. Um, I'm trying to think of of something I like. You know, I, I back in high school, somebody always brings this up to me. I call the football game, and a player had on a necklace over their jersey, and they got called for a penalty for a jewelry infraction, which you see in a football game once in a long, long while. And I sit on the air. I go, oh, you know, it's on Davis. It'll be a 15-yard penalty. But he went to Jared. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, you know, that wasn't working. So we all have those calls that we just love. But those are a couple of them that just came out of nowhere. I mean, Christmas came early. Slap that on a T-shirt. I had a home run call um, last year uh, at the Big East Baseball Tournament. You know, I – it was a crazy game. Xavier was playing Creighton, and it was back and forth, like 6-5, 8-7, 9-8, 12 like a crazy game, high scoring. And Xavier takes the lead on a three-run homer in the sixth, and it's like the fourth lead change of the game. And it was Memorial Day weekend. And as the kids rounded the bases, I just said, somebody fire up the grill and put on some hot dogs. 
<laughs> so I don't know why I said that, but it was just like, this is a great ball game. We need a dog. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Or so crack open a beer in your podcast case. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So you just talked about some of your favorite games you called, but who are some of the best broadcast partners that you've worked with? Well, I have the, the pleasure of working with a couple of people that I grew up watching. So to work some games with Andy Katz and develop a friendship with Andy, I grew up watching Katz Corner. I grew up watching him on TV. So, like, when I see his name next to mine on an assignment, it's like, wow, like, I'm, I'm going to be alongside one of the top experts in the sport. On the flip side, for the women's tournament this year, I did the, the Big East women's semifinals on FS1. About five straight hours on FS1 of women's basketball. And I get to sit next to Sarah Kustak. Now, for me... Sarah Kustak has one person sit next to her on TV, and we all know who that is. Oh, yeah. That's Ian Eagle. That is Ian sure Eagle. And uh, I've gotten to know Ian a little bit uh, over the last couple years in, in passing. And to sit next to Sarah for five, six hours, you realize why she's on NBA games every single night, because she's a star. She's a superstar. And her perspective on the game is really unique. She played it. Um, she's coached it and she's really analytical, but fun. And to work with her was awesome. I get to work with Kim Adams as well, who, who's a good friend of mine. And when you work with one of your good friends, the chemistry comes off seamless. Uh, we do a podcast together now and it's, it's really awesome. And so to work with those three, those are just three people that I've had the, the privilege and the pleasure to work with. And a couple others that I've, I've enjoyed working with. I've got others that I can't wait to work with someday. <laughs> My dream partners, but uh, it hasn't come yet, but I hope it will. Maybe your, your friend Gus Johnson will hop on a, uh, a game with you. I, I love that guy. And you guys have a special relationship, it seems. Yeah, you know, Gus, Gus has always been encouraging. He's always been great to me. I would love to do a game with Raft someday. I hope the oh, day yeah. comes that I could do a game with <clears throat> Bill Raftery because if that day comes, it would be a privilege. I mean, what else do you have to look forward to at that point? I think you've just kind of hit the, the top. <laughs> There's nothing better in the college basketball pyramid than doing a game with Bill Raftery, which is really cool. Um, off that line, Bill Raftery, too, he's one of the guys that famed coach. I mean, he had been coaching in I, one of the better college basketball venues in the Northeast, too, for uh, pretty much his career. So – What's your, let's dive into that. Do you have a venue or a certain matchup or your dream game that you want to call at some point in your career? Wow. Um, okay. It's a loaded question. So you can, you can break it down if you want. Well, a short term dream would be if I could do play by play to start doing it for big East conference games, that'd be awesome. I'd love to do UConn Providence. I think that rivalry is just going to get rekindled and take off. I'd love five. to do a game of Cameron Indoor because for us, like that is hallowed ground. And I would love to do, to do a game of Cameron Indoor and jump into other conferences. You know, um, in terms of the dream, it's easy to say national championship, right? But I think for me, like I would love to host Selection Sunday someday. There's nothing like the pageantry of that day. I get excited for it. We're all fans. But I think Greg Gumbel's got the dream job right there on Selection <laughs> Sunday. He gets to unveil that bracket and just roll with it. So, you know, those are a couple things that, that I've got on the bucket list. I, I'll say this. I, 
I want to get to more venues. Like I went to Hilton Coliseum last year at Iowa State and just loved it. It was it was a blast. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be really special someday to call Major League Baseball. And I think if I continue to surge with Fox, that there's a chance that I could get a look at baseball someday. Like that would be a goosebumps type of moment. But it's all in due time. You know, I, I always say to people like, during these unprecedented times, a phrase that we've heard so many times over the last couple months, I feel lucky to have a job. I feel lucky to do this job every day. I love the fans. I love the followers, the coaches, and the players. So for me, I, I really, I don't just say this, but I am living a dream. Uh, more dreams to come that hopefully get fulfilled. And that's a very good segue because in many in the sports industry, if you're not playing it, you're broadcasting it and doing the play-by-play. And like that is like the dream is to be up close and seeing these games and seeing these moments and meeting different players and coaches. So who is the best athlete or best coach that you've ever seen in person and then, or even met them later on? Well, um, I did a one-on-one with Patrick Ewing, his first one-on-one after his introductory press conference like that day came and then three months went by. He didn't do any interviews. And I did his preseason one-on-one and a friendship was born. I mean, I remember sitting down with coach and he got a kick out of me. I got a kick out of him a little bit. He was a big friendly giant. And out of that has come a pretty good relationship. So I, I really, I've enjoyed talking with coach Ewing here. I think he's probably two feet taller than you too, which is nice. <laughs> he is. He is two <laughs> feet taller than me. Um, but he, you know, to see him at Georgetown, he's had to go through some tough times with the transfer situation. You know, I'm just glad, I'm glad he's feeling okay with COVID and whatnot. He had COVID. He, you know, he has been recovering. But um, to to meet him and to bond with him a little bit has definitely been it's definitely been rewarding. You know, other guys in this field, I, I've met Bob Huggins. That was really cool. Uh, John Thompson. Wow. Tom Izzo. You know, like guys like that, like there's there's several of those guys, and they're all genuine. You know, nobody wants to work with a jerk, and nobody wants to like a jerk. Those guys are good people, and they're and they're genuine basketball minds, and they're gym rats. So to, to meet those guys, to bond with them, Louis Carnesecca, another one that uh, that really hits close to home. So those are some guys that I've that I've really uh, come to meet and and have enjoyed. Back to the players now, too, and transitioning to more of a modern lens. There are a lot of Big East players in this particular year and in years past, too, that uh, have some professional potential here. I know a couple of guys that you're high on in this year's draft, but out of all of the people uh, and athletes that are going to declare this year, who do you think is going to be drafted the highest and maybe even goes on to have a, a long NBA career. Well, Sadiq Bay for me is a top 15 pick. Could be a guy that gets to 10 or 11. I think he has a chance to be the Donovan Mitchell of this draft. Mm. Sadiq Bay is a six foot seven, six foot eight ish wing player who could shoot the three, put the ball on the floor, back you down. And oh, by the way, took on the Wildcats' toughest assignment defensively. He could be the prime defender for Jay Wright. Two-way Swiss Army Mm -hmm. knife type player. We've seen Mikhail Bridges. We've seen Josh Hart pan out. I think Bay has a chance to be better than both of them. He's a really, really talented player, and he hasn't 
fully sculpted into his best self yet. That's the thing. There's no timing like the present. He's just a sophomore when he declared. You know, Villanova doesn't typically have a two and done. He was good enough to do that. And at this time last year, we would have never predicted that. I think he's going to get some serious looks. I think he's going to be a player that contributes immediately for an organization. You made an early prediction on it, too. I remember in the weeks coming of the Providence-Nova game, you had mentioned in just our casual conversations that Sadiq Bey is going to get a lot of NBA looks when conference play comes around in particular, and he showed out. I mean, for as many good guys as they have on that roster, Gillespie, Jeremiah Robinson-Earl, who we talked to in January, uh, it's crazy to see that he might have not even been the – best player quote-unquote on that roster but yet he might have a, a great NBA career absolutely and, and Villanova this will be the seventh NBA draft pick for them in the last four years this is not just a three or four year player type of formula Jay Wright has it going on everywhere but the reason why Bay to me is that type of, of high level player is because we saw him defend we saw him hit the three. We saw him score the ball really well. He plays within himself, too. Like, Jake, we watched him a ton. He wasn't this high-volume shooter. He just had a really good floor game. He played his role well. When he needed to take over a game, he did. And I don't think he's even <clears throat> fully come into form yet of what he could be. So I think that this is the guy that, that could really take off. In terms of the other guys that you asked about, I think Miles Paul gets his shot. He's just too good of a scorer, and he works too hard not to. Marcus Howard, for me, I'm just curious about his size. You know, I, I get worried about being undersized there for him. I think Najee Marshall gets a look. And I say that because he's six foot seven. He's a great defender. If he starts to score the ball a little bit more consistently, we'll see. But the player who's a dark horse in this draft now is the unexpected declaration of Tyshawn Alexander out of Creighton. Really came on this past year, six foot five. Great defender, great defender, and is a lights-out shooter. I think he gets a two-way deal. He'll be moving back and forth, end of an NBA team's bench, and playing in the G League. Interesting, interesting player. I mean, write it down in the book. Sadiq Bey will be a top a top 15 pick, and credit John Fanta when that comes out. <laughs> that might be the over-under bet. Like, 15 <laughs> might, be the, might be the number that night. So We'll have to set up go. the prop bet lines. Can you yeah, take we'll care of that, Tando? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will work on it. So we just talked about, you know, players in the Big East going to the draft, and now it poses the question of, like, will we have the draft at the time they allotted, and, you know, how will basketball – start returning into our world. And of course, college basketball was the one that took the biggest fall when the COVID pandemic stopped because one of the biggest sporting events in, on the year got canceled before we can even get the full brackets. Sure. When basketball returns this fall or later, we, we don't know that answer. What do you think it'll look like? What kind of restrictions will the league try to impose? What do you paint us a picture of what do you think college basketball will be in 2020-2021? Well, no fans, at least to start, because for a lot of these schools, you're playing on campuses. And I think you're going to see games get moved to campuses, and campuses are restricted with hybrid systems, and they got to contact trace. They're not going to have people come in from outside the gates and go to games. So that's going to be a challenge. I don't think you're going to see fans. I'd be surprised if you did. 
Um, I think you're going to see much more bus trips. You're going to see teams play that local rival that fans have always wanted them to play, but now they're doing it to save some money to get a game together. You could see the season get delayed because of a surge in the fall, and you could see it get delayed to January 1st. There's a world that that happens. They need to have a college basketball season for their economics. You can't just go two years without an NCAA tournament. they got to figure out a way to do it. But you're going to see a season with staggered play. You might see a school shut down. You might see a school not play a game for a week or two. It might happen. But it's impossible to find complete uniformity. It is possible to play basketball in a lot of areas. And for me, you can't totally scrap the season when you could still give student-athletes, some of them, a good fraction of them, the student-athlete experience of playing college sports. Working through that is going to be a challenge. I think we're going to have college basketball, but I think it's going to be a season that comes with hurdles, a season that comes with some interruptions. Those are going to happen. But a season that we're just going to be glad we have the sport. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that all pans out but I think we'll get to a point where we have some regularity in it. And that goes back to we need the NBA to have a clean restart because you've got to follow those pro models. And if the NBA can work, they're the trailblazer on everything right now, it seems like, between their brand, between their politics, between their commissioner, between the stars being able to run the league. They really are player-driven. If that works out, other things could work out. But college sports – Say a prayer, cross your fingers, because one outbreak of any sort could cause a domino effect. And, I mean, if, if we do start college basketball on January 1st, you can't fit a full season in by March Madness. You just play your conference games. And but, you know, you think about it, what, what you'll end up doing probably is you might do a condensed tournament where you, where you take the conference champion and then a couple of teams that are really successful. Like, that'll be a really curious situation. March Madness turns to April Absurdity. <laughs> you know what? If it means we have something, we'll do it. I'll do it. I'll t- and your I, point about – I was really hoping that, you know, they were – and it was tough to say because obviously, like, back then you're like, oh, this is going to blow over quick. You know, we'll have sports um, sooner rather than later. I was really hoping that instead of canceling that they were just going to postpone first you know, postpone the March Madness. But then, you know, then the logistics of like, like you said, all the dominoes falling. And now we don't even have any, you know, of the major four professional sports till this fall. You can't keep those kids. Yeah, it was a wash. Rudy Gobert was the ticking time bomb. Everything else went away. That name is forbidden here. (laughs) It's a sacred ground, Fanta. Um, your, your point on the old local rivalry. So does that mean that we can, uh, that we'll have media credentials waiting for us at Seton Hall and Rutgers this year? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that's what I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly right. what I'm saying. The second that happens, we're getting in the car driving down and we'll meet you out for a beer. Perfect. That's right. <laughs> what a um, let's get into fun stuff. Let's get into, not to say that sports isn't fun because we love that, but um, a little bit off the, the cuff here you've been doing this series on twitter when this quarantine and isolation started called sunday dinner and basically challenging everybody to show the world what kind of local restaurants they've been supporting you know maybe what uh, some of the uh, 
popular meal selections were and then posting it on Twitter. So I need to know what's your go-to meal and what's a restaurant from the Cleveland, Ohio area that you want to plug and, and why. Okay. So here in Northeast Ohio, um, there's the place that I fell in love with that has great popcorn that you can go right up. Now, right now during COVID they're open, but you can't go up and get a bowl of popcorn, but I can't wait till that day it comes. <laughs> Uh, it's called Mitchell's Tavern. It's right in Westlake. This is a dive bar, and you walk in, you're thinking, this place can't be known for their food. Well, you would be sorely mistaken. We are talking outstanding garlic parmesan chicken wings. Really high level. Uh, and good medium wings, good hot wings, great burgers. They've even got pizza that's thin crust that is strong. They bring it on the pizza. This is your classic sports bar food, but they put their spin on it. Love Mitchell's Tavern in Westlake, family-owned and operated, good people, have never had a bad experience there, and just a place you can always rely on for a good bite to eat. That's, you heard it here. That's incredible. <laughs> it's, that's, that's what I've got. In terms of on the road, look, my heart was breaking for Federal Hill being shut oh, down and all those businesses family-owned. I hope they all survived. Um, I was just at dinner there. I was just yeah, at dinner. Most are okay, yeah. right? We just, we just went to Venda and uh, always a great meal. I mean, it was a, what's today? Tuesday. It's a Tuesday night. We went at 6 PM and it was packed. Yeah. I mean, social distancing was thrown out the window. We need to know too. What's your federal Hill selection? Well, here's the thing. If I live like you guys did near there, I've been on a bit of a, of a summer cleanse here the last couple of weeks <laughs> and that's worked out. Okay. That would not work out if I were near federal Hill. Mm. <laughs> I mean, for me, old canteen. Oh yeah. Love it. And Dino's can't go without it. Um Angelos, fantastic. Love those meatballs. Yeah. I mean, it's the list is endless. It's, you can yeah. go to Napoli's and you'd have a great experience. Or Siena. How about Siena? I mean, you can't Another go wrong at Siena's, all of those places. Just <clears throat> Fantastic, fantastic restaurants. Exactly. We, uh, yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with anything in Federal Hill. You can't. Yep. No. We, we owe you whenever you come up. We'll, we'll grab a, uh, a plate of pasta and some meatballs and a glass of wine or something. Well, you know what? I, I'll stay and, and I'll take you up on that offer. I'm not yeah. going to forget that offer. <laughs> I, I won't forget it. I'll get the breakfast sandwich the next day at, That's uh, fair. at, at my God, my, my, my brain is escaping me right now. Where are we with going? Sal's, yeah, yeah, of course. The Sal's Bakery, <laughs> yep. I can't forget that. You know, it's just such a tease there. You get to the Omni Hotel, and there's a Fleming's right in the downstairs, and I love Fleming's potatoes. They're mm. fantastic. Like, you just there's so much to eat in Providence, so much good stuff. It's, pro it's my favorite Big East food city. Do you I have – I, I know we, we didn't put this on the agenda, but do you have – for, I was going to say, do you have any beer recommendations? Okay, I've, I've been living my life for nearly 25 years off an agenda, with no agenda. <laughs> do you and have any... Okay. Right. Do you have any beer recommendations or anything like that, too? Like, what, what's your go-to on a night out, first of well, all? Well, you know, we're in Cleveland, so I'm in Cleveland. And they've got Great Lakes Brewery, which I'm sure you've seen. If you're at a, at a brew hub, you've seen Great Lakes Brewery with their Dortmunder Gold. Uh, they have a Christmas sale that is fantastic. This summer, though, I, I need a Lion Hugel Summer Shandy, or I'll have a Bumbleberry. It's a, it's a drink with a little bit of blueberry uh, infused in it. It's a beer. 
Uh, it's made by Fathead's Brewery in Cleveland. Really, really good stuff. Well, good to know. Thank you for the recommendation. We'll definitely have to check those out. There you so, go. To close out the show, and we've had this was a I'm not an guy. IPA guy. That's fine. That's Get fine. <laughs> Get out. You got to varietize right, the palate. You got to varietize the palate. Exactly. But this was an awesome time talking to you, you know, telling us your story and all of your favorite spots. Where can our listeners find and connect with you on social media? At John underscore Fanta on Twitter anytime. Um, you can email me, jfanta, my last name, F-A-N-T-A, 25107 at gmail.com. Shoot me a note, shoot me an email, I'll get back to you. Um, I've had all kinds of things this offseason. I've met a couple fans on Skype. Tomorrow I'm going on a Zoom with a bunch of Providence Friars fans. Nice. Like, where did that come from? They just reached out on Twitter. I'm happy to do it. Um, Facebook, John Fanta. Instagram, John underscore Fanta. Message, reach out, whatever. You got a question, fire it away. I actually, as I get off with you guys, I'm going to do another live Q&A here to wrap up the day and wrap up the night. You know what? We, we, um, sports can be a resort, even in the darkest of times. And right now, we all need each other in some way, shape, or form, and it brings us together. And, and uh, that's why it's been fun to be with you guys. But that's where you can find my work. Go to BigEast.com as well. And I'll give a little tease. Coming July 1st, a brand-new Big East shoot-around. First show in several months. The return of UConn. What it means. What it does for the conference. What it does for the Huskies. We're going to go down memory lane. We've got some legends. We have a special... Ooh. Sizzle open, a minute-long sizzle open of a famed UConn legend voicing it. I can't wait to host the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, my oh God. Can we, uh, <laughs> can we break this when this airs in a couple weeks or what? Or will it have been already told? To It'll be July time? 1. It'll be on July 1st in two okay. weeks here. Two weeks from? This episode will drop on July, that 4th of July week. Oh, yeah. It'll drop the week of. It'll have dropped. So. Excellent timing. Jeez. Can't wait. Ray Allen. Well, yeah, oh, maybe. <laughs> Andre, we'll Andre Drummond. We'll see. Andre Drummond. <laughs> Fanta's not spilling. No <laughs> I <way>. know he's not. <laughs> but You'll have to um, wait and see. Yeah, well, John, you're the man. Uh, thanks for coming on, and we, we appreciate you always. We can't look forward enough to when the season gets going, and when you come up to the dunk, we'll uh, – We'll go for uh, some meatballs. We'll go have a couple of beers. And then the next morning, we'll go get some uh, sandwiches at LaSalle. So thanks for all that you do. Keep working hard and, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep on keeping on. Thank you, guys. Let's definitely do it again anytime. Thank you so much, Sean. Stay safe. Appreciate it. Any, anytime you need me, just ask. You're the man. You're the man. Thank Love you. to come on. This is a lot of fun. Right, that was John Fanta from the Big East. What a guy. Great interview as always. A very, very happy and enthusiastic one. So definitely appreciate John coming on. And he, he's around. He's going to be up in Providence for Friars games for sure. So hopefully we get to do a live show with him at some point. Um, John's a great friend of mine and uh, will now be a great friend of the show for a while. Positivity Corner before we wrap things up here. Really cool story from Garrett Cole. Yes, we're Yankee fans. We need to be throwing this down everybody's throat, but Garrett Cole's a Yankee. Yep. I'm just waiting for the tears of Red Sox fans to pile in. Sure. All right. We've got them all out. Great. But Garrett Cole's a New York Yankee, and 
for as much as we're looking forward to seeing him back, he's got something going on that might be a little bit more important than baseball that his wife, Amy, had posted uh, a couple of days ago. And they're expecting a child. I believe it's their first child that is due at the beginning of July. So right now they basically put on Instagram a, a picture of the baby shoes. They're decked out in Yankees bling, if you will. They've got the Yankee colors. They've got the white and navy blue, and they've got the number 45 on them, the, these little baby shoes that they're going to give to uh, their child when it's born. And basically they had a big Instagram poll of, you know, all right, Camp is on July 1st. The babies do a day before that. Which comes first? It was a pretty even poll. So that was that was really cool. I, I thought that that was an awesome side to the baseball players that you don't really get to see. You know that they have families. You know that they have kids. But for Garrett Cole, who's about to embark on one of the biggest adventures he's ever been on in his life and taking on a new team and becoming an ace of the New York Yankees who he's always wanted to to do he's got something in his life that's more important than that right now which is welcoming a family member into it so it's a humble reminder that players and and athletes of all sorts really are are people they're people too I think you're going to see a lot more of this, especially as the season starts to get into fuller swing in terms of more athletes having children, uh, you know, between July and maybe say November. So you're going to see it more to light because what have these people been doing the past couple of months? They've been hanging out with their families. They've been training in the backyard. They've been playing catch with their wives. They've been shooting goals on their kids for the soccer players. It's taken on a very different meaning to be an athlete right now than it ever has been uh, in this post-social isolation world, I should say. Not social distancing. That's still going on, but and COVID, of course. But but right now, family's more important than ever. And... It's really great to see that these athletes are finally, well, not necessarily finally recognize it, but putting it more in a public light. I, I'm stoked for any professional athlete that's due with child right now and wish him the best. So that's Positivity Quarter. Garrett Cole is going to have a kid the same day as he probably goes back to camp. Crazy. Crazy times. Check out Yankees predictions from Will on the blog. They are up right now. As we mentioned, there's going to be a link on everywhere on social media for those blogs, and it's going to be good. We're just going to write whatever comes to mind, hopefully back it up with a few facts, and from there, whatever happens, happens. So exciting stuff from us over at Beers, Business, and Balls. Of course, you know where to find us. Twitter is the underscore BBB underscore podcast. Instagram is the dot BBB dot podcast. Merch is coming, folks, and... Hopefully, Tondo and I will be in the same building soon. Again, we're recording this from the studio in Providence, up at our place. And 
it's going to be good. As soon as we're together, we're going to start hopefully having some guests when it's safe that are local to the Rhode Island area into the studio so we can do the full episodes and pick their brains. And Again, it's just interesting people with interesting stories. That's what we're going for, folks. Fanta certainly one of them today. So for all of us here at House Enterprise, Will Tondo's here in spirit, but I'm Jake Zimmer. Thanks for joining us. Episode 13 is next week, the first one in July. So long, folks. <laughs>